Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the second episode of Extra Rounds Podcast. I'm Mike Dice. Elias Cepeda. Um, we really appreciate everybody tuning in and everybody who reviewed the uh, podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Um, we have a, an interesting show this week. We're going to talk to Joe Lazone. We're going to talk to Louis Lutrician. Yeah, Lutrician, Lou Giordano. I always think of the pizza, like in Chicago. For <laughs> the, the Chicago people, it, the Chicago people get that. There's a lot of people who don't know what we're talking about, but yeah. that's what I always think of. Um, and we're going to touch on UFC 201. We're going to talk about Nick Diaz, uh, his suspension being lifted before getting into the interviews. So full show, really excited uh, to have it. Um, and we're going to do a show at the end of the week with a couple of people that we're trying to get on the show today that we weren't able to. Um, Lex McMahon from Titan and Stefan Struve, who's they work together on a, um, a charity that helps veterans. Yeah, yeah, military veterans. A very exciting charity. And uh, Stefan will probably have some stuff to say just about the heavyweight division in general. We're definitely going to ask him about Brock Lesnar because he's been, he's been talking about Brock Lesnar. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll be a fun extra bonus episode this, later this week. If you, if you follow his Twitter, like you already know, he talks about Brock Lesnar. He, he maybe more so than anybody got joy out of watching everything unfold the way that it did. Um, but first things first, let's get into it. There was an exciting, exciting show this weekend in at Atlanta, UFC 201. For those of you who didn't check or uh, follow the Sports Illustrated MMA page, we broke it down on a Facebook Live thing that we do after every pay-per-view event, or probably every event, that, maybe yeah. going forward. Yeah. Um, so make sure to check that out. But let's touch on it again. Uh, first thing that stands out to me is Jake Ellenberger, mm-hmm. one and five, back against the wall. And that's kind of what everybody assumed, back against the wall. Right. Gets the big win. Yeah. And then Dana White, after the show, is interviewing, I think it's with Megan Levy, and he says he, he – I don't want to say begged – I don't think Dana White used that word, but he made it sound like Ellenberger was begging for one more shot to avoid the pink slip. And boy, did he make the most of it. Yeah, he made good on that. Uh, you know, he, he got his wish. He got another fight. But then he was, he was matched up against a top five welterweight title challenger in Matt Brown, a phenomenal fighter who has, has, has been doing well, you know, ups and downs like anyone, but been doing well against the best of the best. If you guys might remember – Right before Robbie Lawler uh, became champ, Matt Brown fought him, and had, they had a really close fight. And, um, yeah, <laughs> Ellenberger got what he wanted. It seemed like, a, uh, like maybe it would be a Pyrrhic victory, but he shocked everyone. And, I mean, I guess, you know, we could have been shocked in, in a sense, right? Ellenberger, with that power and with his ability to close that distance, is always a threat. But, yeah, he, just, he had struggled so much lately that a win over someone that high in the rankings was just – gigantic I, I don't i don't think i expected him to win yeah. it's just kind of like i'm used to him losing yeah. lately but what do you think made him win this time around was it was it that he was more aggressive in the cage like he was really going after brown not trying to leave anything up to question it's hard to say right like i wasn't in his camp and i you know i know he he's been touting before the fight he was touting the, the work he'd been doing at, at king's mma and he you know jake was a guy that it had a lot of his training. It had a real transient nature to it in recent years. You know, he had a really good home. It seemed like in Rain Training Center, Mark Munoz's gym. But then Mark closed that down uh, when he retired, or shortly after he retired. And so Jake was bouncing around from gym to gym. You know, I, I guess he he would probably say that the work he's getting there, the instruction he's getting there, um, helped him. And I'm sure it did. Right? They have great people there, and to have any type of consistency is is always a good thing. But I, you know, it, it's really impossible to. I think Jake Ellenberger. 
when he is 80, who <laughs> could get up off a rocking chair and be a threat, you know, randomly in any given moment. He's just a heck of an athlete. He's got a lot of power and a lot of speed. And, um, yeah, I would love to have him on and, and ask him about that. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those moments that could have happened at any given time with Jake Ellenberger. If he lets it go and he connects, you really can't. No one can really stand up to too many Jake Ellenberger shots to the chin ever. It seems like uh, it could almost be a movie storyline. Mm. And I know that might be cliche to say because like we're fans of the sport, so obviously everything to us is way more fascinating <laughs> than maybe it is to the common person. But here's a guy who was a top contender for a long time. Yeah. He's faded. He's on this horrible losing streak. He's about to get cut, begs for one more shot, and makes good on it. You yeah. know, maybe Hollywood would put him on the UFC 200 card because it'd be like it's true. a more storybook finish. But, right, right, but right. I could, you know, it's like a, it's the underdog story. Cinderella Man, Rocky, Rudy, like all that. Totally, totally. You know, and, the, and we have to remember that, that most of these guys and girls – they're not the enormously rich athletes that we see uh, in other sports a lot, like in other in big sports. So when we say a, you know, a guy, a girl is fighting for their career, they really are. He doesn't have like some pension to fall back on. He doesn't have like uh, probably, I'm guessing, not trying to insult Jake or anyone else. They don't, I don't probably have a few million dollars in the bank to fall back on. So this is a tough thing. You're facing the prospects of having to find a new profession, a new way to feed your family, and he's got a family when you're, a young man, but an old athlete, that's a stressful situation. And to be given an opportunity slash like really tough, tough bout and to make good on that is, yeah, I think anyone can, and when you put it in those terms, I think anyone can appreciate it, even if they're not huge fight fans, you know, fighting for your career, fighting for, to put food on the table. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Now for the, the UFC, what do you do with him? Do you give him one more contract and see if he can do it again or one more fight mm. and see if he can do it again? Play or better. you giving him like, <laughs> okay, you won, here's three more fights or four, however long of a contract. Yeah, I think they should, they'll probably give him another like normal three or four fight contract. Uh, I mean, those aren't binding on the UFCs, and so they could always cut them. Like, there's no secure, real security in those, so why not give him right. something? Yeah, and in fact, they can lock him up at a, like, let's say he goes on a three fight or like a two fight a winning streak after this, so he's got three fights total. If he's under contract, they could still. You know, paying him whatever. Bargain they, yeah, they got a bar- yeah, they got a good bargain on him. You know, so I would say the UFC should definitely give him another, uh, give him a, a good contract, low raise, and they, they should also look to to utilize him in another. You know, he did great, but at some point he'll have to retire. And he's he's a really smart guy. Uh, he's uh, you know he's a good looking guy, and uh, he has a good mind for the sport. They should try to find other opportunities for him when he's done as well. Hopefully. So let's move on to the next fight, Rose Namajunas. Oh man, losing to Carolina. Fight of the night. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, another strawweight fight, another women's fight, and another night where it was the most entertaining and maybe evenly competitive fight. Like, the parody in women's MMA is maybe unparalleled in men's MMA. I think so. I think especially in these divisions that we're seeing in, in the UFC right now, bantamweight and at strawweight. Yeah, that was amazing. We were hoping to see, you know, possibly uh, the new number one contender emerge from this. And we did. And Carolina getting that win. But we also, like, it was in a way that Rose really shouldn't have her her status diminished at all. Because I felt like, and we were talking about this during the fights we were watching here, the first two rounds were really tough to score. I could see them going, you know, it being one apiece after two rounds. I could see, one, you know, someone scoring it 2-0 for either fighter. Carolina really closed and sealed the deal with that with a knockdown in the third round. So Rose fought awesome. And, and the first two rounds was really a story of range, right? I, I felt... Both women 
kick the other's butt, like a, depending on the range. So Rose was incredibly successful at length with long straight punches. And then Catalina beat her up in the clinch really badly with those knees and those, and those elbows. So both women look great. We have a new contender, but even the, the woman she beat, Rose, still should be considered a, a real top contender. It should still probably be like one or two fights away from another title shot. So yeah, it was a great fight, really important, and, and just elevated the division even more. In, in professional wrestling, I'm a professional wrestling fan, sorry, but there's a way where finishes aren't clean. Mm-hmm. And what you do, obviously, because storyline and uh, wrestler standings means a lot more in the world of professional wrestling than it does in MMA, because uh, there's a storyline that they're trying to invest. So somebody like Brock Lesnar, um, you know, that they're building up to build, be this invincible guy, they schedule, or the way that they have him get defeated is different than yeah. another person getting defeated. It's always with interference or... Uh, something happened, so that way it doesn't hurt his stature. And that's kind of like what happened here with Rose. Like, she lost, but she didn't lose horribly, or she wasn't embarrassed. It was incredibly close. Like, she came out, I don't want to say unscathed, but, you know, she she's not going to drop out of the top five or anything like that. Shouldn't. yeah. But you said uh, we were kind of hoping for a number one contender to come emerge, and while a lot of people think that one did in Carolina and Dana White alluded to the fact that she's he's strongly considering giving her the title shot, even though Joe Rogan went in the cage and said that she was getting it, um, that she basically, because she didn't win so decisively, she didn't really emerge, which I think is kind of a, a ridiculous argument because if you look at the rankings, like who else is ahead of her? She just knocked off Rose. Right. You know, Carla Sparza. Ioana's fought before. Um, yeah, unless they want to give another another fight to Claudia. Um, then yeah. Yeah, and Claudia's up there, and she right. just fought. Uh, so, you know. He just likes to keep his options open. You know, Dana likes to be the voice sometimes of the, uh, of the ignorant fan who wants to see someone's head blown off clean in, in the ring. And, and I think they don't, he doesn't do that because he's ignorant. I think he does that because he likes to. It's tough to make commitments in business ahead of time, right? You don't know what's going to happen. You like to, you like to, uh, he probably likes to give himself the flexibility and the latitude to, to go any number of different directions, depending on contract situations, depending on timing and injuries and all that type of stuff. So, you know, he, he may have some convincing uh, of Joanna to, to do. Maybe she doesn't want that fight right now. Maybe she does. I, I don't know. But yeah, I think that's a, that's, that's a ridiculous argument. You don't have, you don't have someone like throw a last second touchdown pass off of a game, you know, that become off of what becomes a game winning drive or a last second like three pointer to win the game and be like, well, you know, it's is a maybe it was a title clinching game. Like, well, they didn't really uh they just barely won that, so they're not the champs or they don't right. what are you talking about? Like you mo- you move on if you win. Yeah, exactly. Period. <laughs> so. No matter how de- decisive it was. But yeah. and the other thing is I think when it comes to scheduling her whether she gets the next title shot is where do they do it? Like sure. You would think like first, when I started thinking about when we were talking to you on UFC and Fox Twenty, and I was thinking about a matchup potentially with her and Carolina, it's like, man, to do that in Poland would be huge. Um, and Dana White kind of alluded to that in his interview with Megan Levy. He's like, that's a fight that maybe I don't want to do in New York. I'd rather do in yeah. um, Poland. I'll and build I can't a Understand there. why? I yeah. mean, it'd be a huge fight. So maybe he's like, you want to also really wants to fight on the New York City card, which factors into this too. Good so point. it's like. Good point. Do, and there's a big Polish crowd there, too, to capitalize on as well. So it's like maybe we want Joanna on the Madison Square Garden card, so we're going to make Carolina fight someone else one more time. Mm-hmm. And 
put her down the shot and hope that Ioana successfully defends with whoever we schedule her with to be on that Madison Square Garden card. So I could see like various possibilities sure. why he's not ready to commit to like one option or the other. I just wonder who they would uh, who they'd give Ioana then. Uh, Tisha Torres. That's true. Sure. She's sure. up there. I yeah, mean, she's Esparza, great. Esparza, I think, is climbing back up in the rankings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, depending if you're one of those people who gives that any credence or not. Sure. But Th- yeah. has she moved? Has she moved up without fighting? Really? I think so. That's I think hilarious. Because I, like, I think I was looking at it and I was like, "Why is Carla?" Uh, why is doubt it. But I could be completely wrong too. Uh, I mean, that that wouldn't surprise me. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, healthy Carla Esparza is one of the best in the world. I also look at other people's rankings, like yeah. other websites and stuff. So. That might not be the. I UFC didn't realize there were other websites. There. Yeah, there's only one. It's <laughs> handsided.com and Sports Illustrated. Don't two. forget Sports Illustrated. There's two, <laughs> two websites. Um, but anyways, so then afterwards, uh, someone's asking. I think it was John Morgan from MMA Junkie. Mm-hmm. He asked uh, Schaller about um, a potential matchup between Carolina and Joanna, and he kind of reiterated everything Dana White said earlier when he was talking to Levy. You know, it's a strong possibility, but we're gonna. We don't like to do this fight night, even though we, even though we as the media will always ask fight night, even though they tell us they'll never answer. Yeah. And sometimes they make fights in the back on fight night. They just don't want to have to do yeah. it. So, then, so but he, you know, st- stuck with the company line. Tuesday we meet, we talk. It's a strong possibility. And then Carolina, like went, I don't want to say like full heel mode, but she just like grabbed the mic and Schaller looks over and he's like, I think Carolina wants to say something about this, and. She's like, I think Joanna's scared. And I was just like, love it. Really? <laughs> like, Joanna, the second most tenured champion in the UFC at the moment? Um, she's got to do what she can. If, she, if she's thinking, hey, I just won the number one contenders fight, and they're trying to maybe take away, like, this opportunity, I got to do something. Like you said, full heel mode. Got <laughs> to pull it out. Got to get the fight that you've already earned. So good for her. I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't love non-deserving people being insulted, so... I'm not saying, hey, I like that Ioana's being insulted, but good for you have the to fight. go you, potential you, opponents into your yeah. I, apparently, apparently, I, I think this fight sells itself. But hey, she's trying to add a little extra to it. Well, it's like uh, Nate Diaz and the Conor McGregor fight, and I don't know if you saw all this, but like at UFC on Fox 17, whatever one was in Tampa right after 194 when he fought Michael Johnson. Uh, and of course, he famously called out Conor McGregor in that expletive laced rant that you didn't hear on Fox. Uh, you had to go to YouTube to hear the whole thing. But there was like a clip of him in the back and you can see him talking to his brother, Nate and, or Nick, Nate talking to Nick. And if I'm remembering correctly, Nate's like apologizing because he's like, I cursed, nobody heard anything. Oh, like, what was I thinking? I shouldn't have cussed because they bleeped everything out. And like, Nick was reassuring him. He was like, no, no, they heard you. They know, they know what you said. And he knows what's up. He knows how to promote it. Worked, it worked, you yeah. know? Uh, they used it once the fight was made. They oh yeah. had that running. And Dos Anjos pulls out, yeah. and it's like, who do you want? It's like, well, let's run down the list of people who've thrown their names in the head. You know, how, who, uh, there was three other people, that I think two or three other people that called him out on that same card. And, you know, Nate did it in tremendous fashion, and it made a fight sellable. So I can see, like, what Carolina's doing, and I respect that. Uh, Definitely. Well. Can't blame her. Can't blame her. Can't I don't blame know, her. respect that. But I can, you can't fault her for sure. trying to position and angle herself and goad her in. And Joanna, when people were talking about it, you have seen on Fox 20, it was almost like, I don't want to say downplaying it, but, um, but I guess she's the champion, so she can downplay anything she sure. wants to. But she was, uh, somebody was asking her about, you know, this battle and how it was once billed as proving that she wanted to be the best, 
best in Poland. And I think Dana White even alluded to that in his post UFC 201 interview with Megan Levy that, uh, you know, Joanna encouraged them to sign Carolina because she wanted to prove she was the best in Poland. But then at UFC on Fox 20, and that might have been true hmm. when they signed her. But then at UFC on Fox 20, when we were talking to her, yeah. she was like, why do I need to prove I'm the best in Poland? Uh, this this thing right here on my shoulder says I'm the best in the world. So things changed a bit. And yeah, I mean, I could see where she's coming from. She just fought. It was a, it was a really close war. She probably wants a rest or she probably wants to maybe she wants to fight in, in, in New York, like you were saying, if she doesn't want to rest. And also she fought and beat this woman. It was in a, as an amateur, but you got to do a little something extra to get yourself motivated to fight someone that you've already beaten. So let's get to Tyrone Woodley because we have guests uh, who will be calling in shortly. I want to come back to Nick as well. You mentioned some Nick Diaz hype stuff. We'll come back to that. It was an amazing main event. We got to touch on Nick Diaz because there's some Nick Diaz news uh, this week as well. He's so. on the agenda. Yeah. Tyrone Woodley upset. Shocking or not shocking? Yeah, I mean, yes, and that's not to be disrespectful to Tyrone, but anytime a defending champion gets knocked out clean – quickly you got to be shocked right it's not that i didn't think what t wood had the ability to do it he, i definitely figured he had the ability to do it but in the moment yeah it's shocking you've seen robbie take all sorts of damage exactly. and went out like that you know you've seen robbie just get his face smashed in yeah. and he still keeps coming so it's, at one point is anything going to stop him and then he got caught and yeah. beautifully at that and but yeah i was i i was shocked i maybe more so not that Woodley won, that how quickly and decisive he won. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought he could win in that, with that type of sequence. I didn't predict that it would happen in the, in the first round. Yeah. It, was just, it was just Lawler gave us no reason to believe that. But, uh, yeah, man, he, maybe it's just been too long since we had seen uh, Woodley fight and we forgot how quickly he moves out there. It's been a, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. The other thing that I found really fascinating is after he wasted no time getting down to business. Oh, yeah. He gets, uh, does the interview with Fox Sports. Stephen Thompson's on the desk, Wonder Boy. And he looks straight into the camera and asks if they're going to do business in November, which I'm assuming he meant the New York City card, which seems like everybody signed up for. It's going to be a 40-fight 40, so, 40 card. Yeah, they're going <laughs> yeah, to have no problem finding a fighter who's willing to fight on that card. Everybody wants to fight on that card. Yeah. But uh, Tyron, speak, kind of going back to Carolina and the Joanna comment, he, he really clung to Thompson saying before the fight that he would rather fight Lawler, so he'd rather have Lawler win the fight. And told him no, and said, well, "Now you wanted to fight Robbie. Now you can fight Robbie." I like I like Wonder Boy a lot. He's a good dude. He's an amazing fighter, and uh, that was still a hilarious moment for Woodley. Like you know, I have no rooting interest there, but but good on Woodley from his perspective to, to be like, "All right, you were kind of overlooking me because you said you wanted Lawler, with the assumption being he's gonna he's gonna be the champ." No, nah, I'm good. I'll go I'll go with a bigger name that I think is an easier fight. Because make no mistake about it, someone like someone like uh, Thompson, someone like Damian Maya. Is a, is a trickier matchup, in my view, um, over someone like uh, Nick Diaz, who I think is an amazing fighter, but I don't think it's as tricky of a matchup at all for T-Wood. As a, as a hardcore fan, uh, is it frustrating sometimes to see the big money fight as opposed to the more technical fight? Like, would you rather watch Thompson Woodley than Woodley Diaz? Yeah, I would. I would. I, I, I just think it, it, it would bother me too much that uh, Nick, who – I don't know if there's any, if, if many fighters who I enjoy watching more than Nick Diaz fight, so I hold him in high regard. But fair is fair. Someone like Thompson or someone like Maya should be, should both be having a title fight as their next fight, and one of them should wait if we're, if we're talking about what's fair. So yeah, that would that would bother me to see someone coming off of 
of losses and suspensions, getting it over guys that have these incredible, incredible win streaks. But um, if uh, the UFC has already gone that route, and that's why someone like Tywin Rudley knows that he can, he can call, he can, he can like circumvent the normal kind of ranking type of stuff. So it's not on Woodley. Woodley, Woodley deserves deserves whatever he can get. So I don't blame him. But Woodley's thinking money. Yeah. And the UFC's thinking money. Yeah. So Woodley says, I want to fight Diaz or St. Pierre, and the UFC's going, all right. We like we like that. Yeah, we like the sound of I that. I would imagine so. And and hey, he's not calling out easy guys. Uh, no. If you're if you're calling if one of the people I could understand the criticism for calling out Nick because of the matchup or his layoff and coming off of losses, but if you're calling out George St. Pierre, you can't. And you just fought and beat Robbie Lawler and you finished uh, Carlos Conda before. You can't say that uh, you're not looking for the best fighters in the world. Like that's a pretty stiff roster you signed up to fight johnny hendrix he just you know he, he had some health issues with cutting weight but yeah woodley's has nothing to to prove to me or anyone else in terms of his willingness to fight top competition but remember what he told us on on, on the podcast when he was here uh last week he said this is going to be the last fight that i have to wait on other people and will they sign so-and-so to fight because he had to wait to you know he was promised a shot i believe according to what he said that uh, and then all of a sudden it was talk about kind of getting a rematch or George St. Pierre coming back or Nick fighting. He had to wade through all this. So mm-hmm. he's he's not putting anyone in a position that he himself hasn't had to go through. And he is the champion now. So I don't have a problem with, with the fighters calling the shots a little bit more. That's right. He told us episode one, Extra Rounds podcast. He said, when I get this belt, I'm yeah. calling the shots. And he started calling the shots immediately. <laughs> immediately. True to his word, yeah. immediately he had a started plan. calling his shots. He had I mean, a plan. he like – you talk about fighters visualizing how it's going to go. He yeah. visualized how it would go, and he visualized the next step. And that's why he was able to, in the moment when he's being interviewed, Very respond good. the way that he was Very because true. he's been thinking about it and visualizing it. Like, Very true. He didn't just, like, between the time he had the belt wrapped around his waist to the time he walked backstage and they put the fox cans on him, he was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to call Diaz here. Like, you know what I mean? He yep. been, he's an educated he's man with a plan. He's an plan. entrepreneur. He knows what he wants to do. He's a business owner. Uh, and not just his own self, but like he has his his school. He's 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 out there as an actor. Which, by the way, I saw straight out of Compton for the last time last night. And this is what I'll say: I'll say Tyron Woodley's uh, appearance is my favorite part of the movie. So I was uh, <laughs> looking very hard for Tyron Woodley. Did you, and did you not catch him? No, I did. Oh, did? I yeah. did. But like, I guess I didn't know what kind of role he was going to have yeah. or like what capacity. So as a fan, I, throughout my movie, throughout the movie, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I was still like in the back of my mind. I was like. Did I miss him? Where is he? Where is he? Like, when's he going to come in? And then he, he came in, and the role was pretty uh, – he plays like this t- – it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Yeah. He plays like a tough guy. Yeah, he's, he's, kinda. He's, he's, dri- he's driving a car. I think yeah. Afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. So I don't know if they – if I had heard correctly. I don't know if, if I heard this correctly or not, but that like, he had like scenes cut or something, so he had maybe like speaking uh, more more in it, but it was just cut. Because, you know, there's final edits that are done, so – I wonder if, if wonder if there's scenes out there with him doing a little bit more in there. But uh, Maybe. I, it was cool to see him in there, you know? Yeah. Um, so without further ado, hmm. let's get to the big topic of the day. August 1st, 2016. Let's forget, forget these championship belts and all that. Yeah. Nick Diaz is back. He's eligible to fight. I mean, he's eligible to fight. He's back. I don't know if back's the right word to use because he doesn't have a fight or anything scheduled or on the horizon like uh, – like Silva, I think, had his fight scheduled yeah. before his suspension was up. Right, right, um, right. But still, like, how exciting is that? You know, Very. and think about the Diaz brothers have always been so popular and fan favorites amongst hardcore MMA fans. But to the mainstream crowd or the casual fan, maybe not 
so much. I don't I don't have anything to support that, but you've seen like Nate he's been on Conan and Extra and yeah. all these other things that he was never on before since 196 and you wonder Diaz, the other Diaz brother Nick is going to get some of that rub as well and Definitely. it could be really interesting to see what happens now absolutely it. I mean they never got the push from the UFC up until recently but they always did good numbers you know yeah. like pe people would watch Nate on TV uh, Nick when he finally got chances to, to headline cards they, they did exceptionally well and they, they sell the fights well they fight incredibly well and enter in an enchanting fashion in, in, in a really unique way that no one else really does, whether it's laying down or yelling Stockton, <laughs> Stockton middle fingers while you're finishing a triangle like Nate did, or, you know, laying down with Anderson Silver in front of you, all sorts of just stuff that, uh, that has always gotten tent, uh, like the fans interested, but now they're finally getting the push. So yeah. And you know, it, it's, it'll be great to see Nick fight again if he wants to do it and uh, see who he's matched up with again. But it's also going to be great to see him in the corner, or at least being able to fully help his brother Nate. Those guys seem to be super close their entire careers. Nick got Nate into mixed martial arts. Like Nate has said, he, he dragged me to the gym with him when it stopped going. You know, uh, had a day I didn't go. He, he you know, yelled at me and dragged me back in there. They're so close. They're such a huge part of one another's training and preparation. And Nate didn't have all of that from Nick in his last fight when he fought Conor McGregor on short notice. Nick was under suspension, so he wasn't able to be in the, in the back with Nate, warming him up, talking to him, going out there and cornering him as one of his coaches. And he was pretty upset about that. He talked a lot about that at the time. Nate didn't really mention how heavily it weighed on him, um, but uh, I'm sure he's going to love having his brother there with him the entire time, emotionally, psychologically, uh, and just in terms of tactic, it's going to be huge. So it's something that's big for Nick and whoever he fights, but it's also big for this fight we got coming up with uh, Nate versus Connor too. Uh, Nick Diaz's shadow looms large in a number of different ways. And he wasn't there for Nate Diaz's return in December. Exactly. He fought Michael that's Johnson good, either. He wasn't point. there either. Those last two fights, yeah. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Now, anybody who's gone to those fights knows that Nick's there. He's just not there in the capacity that you would want someone that close to you Absolutely. to be there for you. Uh, or, you know, I mean, you think about if your parents weren't able to come to anything that you were doing, that it's that kind of, I guess, uh, relationship. So it'll be really interesting to see now potential fights. Where do you, what do you do with Nick Diaz? If you're Dana White, Sean Shelby, Joe Silva, you're planning out things. What do you do with him? Who do you book him? When do you book him? Depending on the schedule if Nick wants to fight pretty soon. If he wants to fight before Robbie Lawler wants to fight again, then there's some other options. Otherwise, I, if, if, if when Robbie wants to and can fight again matches up with when Nick wants to and can fight again, I think that rematch from 2004, which was a great fight, should be done. They're both coming off of losses, but they're both elite guys. That would, that would, be, a, that would be an amazing fight. Other than that, I think you either go, you, you, throw, you throw Nick in with a, another huge name or throw him in the, in the you know, um, a huge name or a title fight, as strange as that may seem, uh, right off the bat. Or you just give him someone that's maybe in the top 20, top 30, that he can kind of showcase himself and let him carry like an FS1 card, let him carry a Fox card. Or maybe if uh, pay-per-view is in need of a real, a real name. I think Nick Diaz is on the level where he can carry a, a, a pay-per-view. So basically, I say you give Nick whatever he wants because he's going to bring you a type of look and promotion that, that, that no one else really can, and he could do good business for them. Diaz Lawler, too, would be... It'd be awesome, right? Like, spectacular. Yeah. Take my money right now. <laughs> uh, Woodley is interesting. 
I mean, I don't want to say I wouldn't turn, I wouldn't watch it or look forward to it, but I think it's interesting. But the Diaz Lawler, that's really compelling to me. I think that one really sticks out as something that could be really exciting and get fans really excited. Totally, and would do well. I think people would be fascinated to see that. And it doesn't like step on over anyone unfairly either, like a title shot would or something like that. And then if he beats Robbie. Now we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody could say, don't give this dude the title shot. Totally. So, and if he loses, well, he lost to a guy who's just lost his second fight in 10 fights yeah. back with the UFC. And the two losses he has were title fights. So, yeah. you know, um, I think it wouldn't hurt his standing to go back to, like, the pro wrestling stuff we were talking about, like, with pros or whatever. I don't think it would hurt his standing at all. I agree. Um, that would be really fascinating to see. Uh, I just am excited to have another Diaz in full force roaming around the UFC. Like, Absolutely. they're back with a vengeance. Yeah, it's a, it's a more exciting a more exciting place when those guys are, are roaming. Yeah. <laughs> and you never know where they're going to show up. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. From a purist martial arts standpoint, they're really, really great technicians. And then from an entertainment standpoint, they're just they're, – they're, they're, they're ridiculously entertaining, you know. Oh, incredibly so. The – all the things you listed off before, the laying down on the mat, the backing up against the cage, the middle fingers, the yelling, like, oh, <laughs> it's just, you know, one Diaz fighting every few months isn't enough. Not, not at all. I'm hoping <laughs> there's like a cousin somewhere that yeah. they've been training and oh, hasn't awesome. fought in secret yeah. for 10 years. We need to find that guy. Somebody, <laughs> maybe he's like considerably younger, like maybe he's 18 and right. like we don't know about him. He's just been waiting in the wings. and Let's like. do it. That would be that would Billy Diaz, Ifane Diaz, if you're out there, wherever yeah. you are, let's go. We'll make you famous, man. Well, we're getting ready to bring on our first guest, uh, Jellazone. Let's see if we can get him on the phone. So, Joe, you're fighting again really quickly. Do you do you believe in summer vacation? <laughs> uh, I, I got time to make up for it. You know, I fought in December. I broke my hand. So I had to take six months off, you know, so I could I could either wait until December, November, December, try to get on maybe that, that Madison Square Garden card or a New Year's card or something like that, or I could just, you know, roll the dice, try to get in there fast, and then maybe try to get in there again for that. I mean, I came out super healthy. Uh, camp was good. Like, I banged up my wrist a little bit, but it wasn't a big deal. Uh, you know, but, I mean, I, I feel great. I feel, I feel good. I had a much shorter camp for the Diego fight, so now, I mean, I – you know, for the Jim Miller fight, they get pretty much the same amount of time for sparring and stuff, so it's really not that bad. Is the short camp a benefit, like when you're when you're turning around and fighting on short notice? Um, I used to think it wasn't enough time, but then I would always be like, it would always be, I'd be like four weeks up, like, oh, I wish I could fight tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think that there's less room for, you know, mistakes and, and injuries this way because, obviously, if, if I get hurt, I don't even get a chance to get into shape, whereas... If I had more time, I kind of I could deal with injuries a little bit better. Um, but as long as I don't get, you know, as long as we don't get too banged up and nothing too serious, which usually doesn't happen in the beginning, it usually happens towards the end, like once I'm getting closer. So I think that this, I think this will be much better for me. Since you mentioned it, and we talked about it earlier, the Madison Square Garden is really popular amongst fighters. It seems like everybody wants to fight on the card. You living close or being from uh, the northeastern part of the country. Is the Madison Square Garden card something you really, really want to be a part of? Uh, it'd be cool. I mean, it, it, I mean, there's been so much talk about it for so many years about, you know, the USC going to Madison Square Garden. Uh, it's not far. I mean, it's really it's driving distance from, you know, from where I live. I get tons of people that could go for that. Uh, that would be really cool to be part of. 
you know, um, you know, I was just part of UFC 200, which I think was like the biggest show ever. And now to be part of that would be awesome. You know, that'd be a, a great year. As you mentioned, you fought on UFC 200. The Madison Square Garden card, a lot of people think, will be bigger than UFC 200. Uh, that's two huge events, two huge events that could potentially be the biggest in company history. And you might be the only one to be on uh, on both of them. Yep. You know, so, I mean, it, it, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. You know, like, I'm not – now that I'm, I know I'm fighting Jim Miller uh, in Vancouver, I'm not worried about that at all. Like, that's, like, the least of my worries. It's the least of my issues. But, you know, after 200, I was definitely thinking about it. But we'll see. You know, if, if this fight goes well like the last fight did, maybe, you know, we'll try and pull a cowboy. We'll just keep, keep it going. You know, fight every two months. <laughs> well, going back to UFC 200, uh, huge event. Tons of fans in, in town. The International Fight Week, people from all over the world, two cards leading into it. Um, new arena, stacked card, Brock Lesnar. Uh, there's a lot of craziness. What was it like as a fighter to be a part of a huge event like that and all the craziness? Uh, it was really cool. It, it was kind of nice because I was definitely the little fish in the big pond for that show. You know, like, I, I think I'm, you know, on most cards, I think I would, I would be much higher up the, up the card. But I was like third fight of the night. Uh, you know, I was, I was, I was all excited, you know, like before the fight happened, you know, I don't really fanboy out about people, but I always try to like, I always like seeing what other people are doing. Like I, I really enjoy seeing how other people warm up and get loose and how they get ready for fights and watch them hit mitts and, and all that other stuff. And like, at me to work, but you really don't get to see that, you know, it's only in the back room on fight night or in the gym on a normal basis that you get to see that. And for me, it's, it's always just kind of cool to kind of see how other people are getting ready, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just. It, it, it was cool to kind of, you know, fanboy out just a little bit. You know, once my fight was over, just, like, watching people warm up and, you know, seeing what they like to do. Because, I mean, that's what it matters. That's when they got to be super sharp. they gotta be, they got to be dialed in. You know, it, it's cool to watch that. So, it's funny that you say fanboy. You're backstage. You're walking around, seeing people warm up. What stood out from you or what stood out to you from that, from surveying? Um, you know, I, the Gomi really stood out to me because – you know, so I fought Gomi last summer, and we were, like, terrified of Gomi. You know, like, he's got crazy power in his hands. Like, he knocks people out. And he just did, I don't know if it's a Japanese thing, but he just did, like, the strangest warm-up. I mean, it worked for him, but uh, it is, like, he just did, like, a lot of, like, stretching. And, like, he was doing, like, uh, like you know, crouched down and, like, on both heels and, like, kicking his legs out and catching himself. He's just doing a lot of, like, weird stuff that I'm just not used to seeing. You know, that was the main stuff that stood out to me. Um you know, uh, I didn't. He was really the only person I got to watch because I, you know, he was the only one that fought before me. And then after that, I wasn't really in the locker room too much. But, um, but everyone does stuff different. I remember I fought at, uh, I think it was UFC 136. I fought when I fought Melvin Gillard, and Chael Sonnen was in the back room. And I'm watching him do like this crazy spin kick over and over and over, and then working on an arm triangle choke. Those are the only two things he did the entire back room. Just like did those two moves like 8,000 times. And then I went out there, and then he, you know, he, he freaking went up the spinning back kick, and then he hit the arm triangle choke and finished. It was just, it, it, it's just weird watching people warm up because, like, sometimes you watch them, and you're like, there is not a chance he's gonna do that, and then they do it, you know, or it, it works. It's just, it's fun. So, Joe, did you get a chance after after your fight, after you fought and beat Diego Sanchez at UFC 200, did you get to go and watch the rest of the card in the arena with your family? Yep. Yep. So I. You know, it was kind of nice. Like, sometimes the UFC gives us, like, really good seats. You know, it's, like, right down close to the front. Uh, sometimes they give us seats that are kind of far away, you know. And, like, I never really understood why they were, like, really good sometimes and why they were really bad sometimes. And I figured out for this card that they were right by the elevator. There was an elevator right there. So they weren't the best seats. They were good seats. 
but they weren't the best seats. But it was awesome because I got to go right at the elevator, and literally the seats were right there, like, you know, back row. Like, it was kind of nice. I got to watch, you know, pretty much the whole entire main card, which was cool. Uh, you know, a bunch of a couple people there I was, I was taking pictures with, but they weren't blowing out my spot too much. You know, like, I, I had a lot of people coming up and, you know, taking pictures, you know, but no one was screaming from across the venue, you know, which I've, I've had that happen in the past, too. And it, it's good because you get to see a lot of people. But it's also, it marks the end of doing anything and having any time until the, the entire arena clears up. I can imagine. I remember that it actually reminds me, Joe, of, of the time you told me, I think it was a UFC event in Jersey. You weren't fighting on it. But a few years ago, um, you took your now wife, Katie, to it to go watch. And it sounded like you guys weren't seated by the elevator in this one because she, Katie was ended up being, I'll let you tell the story if you remember which, which one I'm talking about, but she ended up being really shocked by, by discovering that, that UFC fighters can have some, some pretty uh, ardent fans. Yeah, like she been, so she'd been, to, she'd been to a couple of my fights before, but... It was always like when she goes to the fight, it's like a night that I'm fighting. So I'm kind of away from all the people. You know, I guess it's, it's serious. You know, it's all serious. It's all business. It's, you know, getting escorted. It's not really being around fans. But we went to a, a UFC in New Jersey. And, you know, we, we got there like after a couple fights started. You know, so we got to our seats no problem. Didn't really get stopped that bad. It was okay. And I put my hoodie on, put my hood up, and freaking just went, you know. And, um... But then after the main event got over, trying to get out of there, it was like I got swarmed by people for like you know 45 minutes. Like I could not move. Like she was like she's trying to get to me, and just like a swarm of people. And then uh, luckily a couple of my couple of my friends showed up, and they kind of got her, and you know kind of dragged me through the crowd, kicking and screaming. Uh, but she had like a mental breakdown afterwards because she had no idea that it was like that. She's like, "You gotta replace me. I'm so easily replaced. This is this is not what I expected." Like she was so upset. I'm like I, I I've never had someone so upset for I any mean, for for you know having people like me. But it, but it all worked out. Basically, all of New Jersey was like your wingman for that night. Yeah, it, it worked <laughs> out. It was it was pretty good. So that was in July, UFC 200, your last fight. Not that not that awesome story, but your last fight was in July. Now you're fighting August 27th in Vancouver against Jim Miller, who you fought uh, about four years ago. How soon after UFC 200, Joe, did they offer you the rematch with uh, with Jim Miller? Uh, so, uh, Pokemon Go came out the week I was out in Vegas. So I was playing like I was playing Pokemon Go, like we're like driving around Vegas, go whatever. And uh, you know, like my my coach, I felt like they were getting a little bit concerned because you know I'm like I have like this big fight, the big deal, you know, UFC 200, all this other stuff. And I have my nose in my computer, uh, not my computer, my phone the entire time. And they're all like, hey, you uh, you know you're going to fight, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm freaking catching Pokemon and all that stuff. So after the fight, I was like, I was pumped because I, like everything went great. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, so I'm freaking, I'm, I'm all playing Pokemon Go. I'm driving around. I'm parking. Like, I'm going out to, like, parks late at night and freaking sitting there catching Pokemon. And so it was like the, my fun on Saturday. So Friday night, I'm all catching Pokemon and Joe Silva texts me. And he's like, how, you know, how, uh, how healthy are you right now? And I'm like, I'm pretty good. I'm like, you know, I haven't trained yet. I'm going to, I plan to train like Tuesday or so, but I mean, I feel good. You know, I, I, I wasn't banged up from camp. I wasn't banged up from the fight. Like, I feel good. He's like, okay. He's like, well, he's like, I'm, I'm kind of desperate. You know, I could definitely use you on the Vancouver card. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, you, you're really cutting into my Pokemon Go time. <laughs> and, uh, and Joe Silva starts telling me, like, well, I hear there's a lot of rare Pokemon in Vancouver. So he, he sold me. So <laughs> I, uh, I trained the next. I trained the next morning, and uh, I felt good. I mean, I, I felt I felt great. Honestly, I felt really good. Um, and you know, I told him, you know, like let's, you know, who who are you thinking? You know, he said Jim Miller. I said let's do it. 
That's awesome. So, of course, this, this fight on the 27th, August 27th in Vancouver, UFC on Fox card, I believe, with Jim Miller is a rematch. You guys fought in December 2012, Joe, and that was an amazing back-and-forth battle. It was basically an instant classic. Now, early on, uh, Jim basically jumped all over you, Joe. Like, he connected with, with a bunch of big elbows, uh, cut you open, uh, had you hurt. Uh, you recovered and stormed back in the last two rounds. I actually scored it um, for you. I thought you stole it. He ended up getting the, the decision in a great fight. But I'm, I'm curious about the first round or situations like the first round, Joe. When someone is an opponent is able to come out early and get the jump on you, so to speak, um, looking back, is that the type of situation that you feel is just kind of a coin toss? Say sometimes it, it just happens that way. You can't really control it. You're a person that starts really, really fast, as we saw in your last fight. Um, or is it something that you can look back and, and attribute to certain factors or mistakes uh, that, that, that you made? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times if someone comes out really aggressive and early, uh, you know, the, I think that the, 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 oh, the first, you know, few exchanges really set the tone for the rest of the fight. You know, um, I felt like, so I, I fought Jim Miller. I, was, I think I was supposed to fight Terry Adam. I forget who I was supposed to I think I was, I was supposed to fight Terry Adam or Terry Adam or Gray Maynard, but someone. And then... He, uh, whoever it was, you know, got hurt and pulled out something. So I, I fought Jim Miller. So I've been working on, on all righty stuff. And fighting a righty versus fighting a lefty is very different. Mm -hmm. Because you have to kind of reprogram all of your natural uh, footwork, all of your, like, the way you deal with punches, the way you throw your punches, the combinations you throw. Like, there's a lot that changes fighting a lefty versus a righty. So I was going for a righty, and it got switched to Jim Miller, who's a lefty. So uh, for, like, three weeks, it was basically a crash course and lefty, lefty, lefty. And it really took me a little bit of time to kind of get used to it because you got to get used to the distance, you got to get used to the lefty, you got to get used to their style, all these different things. So uh, it took me a little bit to kind of get used to it, and I think that he was kind of playing on that because he took the fight on short notice. So I think that if he came out very aggressive in the beginning, then you know if he gets me out of there early, then you know he, the, the the shorter camp doesn't really affect him as much. If he doesn't get me out of there, then that that you know it, it kind of plays out the way it did, which is. You know, he had a really good first round. Uh, I went. Re I rewatched it last week, uh, a couple of days ago, and I I think that he won the fight. I think he got the first for sure. I think the second was close, but he he out controlled me, and then I thought I definitely won the third. Um, you know, which is kind of what I would expect for someone coming off of a short camp and really pressing, you know, pressing it. Um, but I definitely think that being aggressive early is like a is a big advantage as long as you know you get the job done. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you. You, you be aggressive early and, you know, you get really, really tired and then the, the later rounds are not so kind to you. Now, Joe, you got the job done early in your last fight at 200 against Diego Sanchez. You're connected with a right pretty early. You dropped him. You dropped him several times. The ref kept letting it go on, though, for a while. Kept dropping him over and over, hurting him over and over. You were putting so much into these shots. We, we were both there and saw it. At one point, you actually, like, fell yourself and got right back up after a shot you threw just curious do you were you you know you obviously you're able to finish it but looking back now would you have been worried that perhaps you would have been a little bit spent if if Diego had had managed to make it into the second round given how how much gusto you were giving it uh no I mean I, we, we were ready if you if you like I can probably say to you I have so much sparring for you we, we, we film every sparring session and every single sparring session was a drag out brawl you know what I mean? Like, we were working a lot of takedowns, and we did a lot more, like, you know, strategic sparring. But probably, like, hard work sparring was just, like, nonstop. Like a, a scene out of Dragon Ball Z or something with just, you know, counter and punches and punch, 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 punch. You know what I mean? Like, 
Um, so I was ready to do that in 15 minutes, you know, which is also why I feel so good about taking the Miller fight because I was in really, really good shape for this last one. Um, so I think it, it, it's easy to kind of keep the ball rolling and keep it going. You know, if I was not in the best shape or if I had an injury or something like that, I probably wouldn't have hopped in such an early fight. Now, you talked a little bit about the physical advantages that could be there when you have a short training camp. You don't have much time to, to prepare. Are there also mental or psychological ones specifically meaning like um, there's a lot of pressure that goes on inside the head when you're when you have a, a let's say a nice extended camp where you're, you're able to give yourself all you need to peak but also day in and day out for week after week sometimes month after month you, you, you go to bed thinking about and wake up thinking about this person who's who's training to, to hurt you um, is is it uh, you expect it to be a, a psychological advantage, maybe not for yourself, but that both of you guys have going into this one with not, with not a large, uh, a long camp because Miller obviously fought at 200 as well, so he's going to have exact same period of time as you. It's kind of weird because so before Joe Silva called me, I was hoping he would call me about you know like you know filling in last minute on a short notice or something like that because I was I was in great shape. I was healthy. I planned on you know I wouldn't have been out of the gym more than a week. Yeah, I would have been right back in there. I was in the gym. I just wasn't doing hard stuff. Um, you know, I was, I was like hoping he would call me and then I see his name on my phone and like, I got like the worst, like, you know, drop in my stomach. Like, I'm like, uh, like, why is he calling me right now? And I, I knew why he was calling me and, uh, you know, so, and then he offers me Jim Miller and again, I have like this, like this grumble in my stomach and I'm like, oh, do I want to do this? And I just got out of camp. Like, you know, it was kind of nice. Like I just won my last fight. It's kind of, it's always nice. After a, after a win, it sucks after a loss, you know? Like, I kind of just want to enjoy this a little bit. You know what? Let's just do it. I have no reason not to do it. I have every reason to do it. Let's do it. And once I took it, then I got excited, you know? But I was definitely, I, I was definitely feeling like almost like the, you know, like a little bit of remorse or something. Like, oh, do I really want to do this? Like, maybe I should just enjoy this for a little bit. Like, it's summertime. I go to the beach. I just hang out. Like... I can do all this other stuff. It's like, this should be like the carefree time. You know, my wife Katie's always like, you're so happy after a win. You're just, you're a different person. After a loss, you're kind of miserable. But after a win, you're so happy. She's like, I like this. And then, you know, six days later, I tell her, hey, we're going to do another fight in like, you know, three weeks. <laughs> and more importantly, this is going to eat into your Pokemon Go time. Can you, <laughs> so let's get back to that. Can you credit Pokemon Go for keeping you shape in between fights? And I mean, I was, it's going to sound bad. But I can honestly say that it was like the week after my fight. But we're all walking around a park for like two hours because so I dropped my son off at uh, he had like a toddler playgroup on on Thursday mornings. So I dropped him off at like nine o'clock and I went and just walked like you know laps around this park for like two hours. And I got back in the car and my back was so sore from walking around. Like I'm like I'm good at doing MMA rounds. I'm good at doing wrestling. I'm doing stuff, but just walking around really bothered my back. So it's, I'm, I'm uh, Pokemon Go is definitely is going to take credit for me getting exercise. Well, I was and we've talked about this, but is it difficult to go through the rigors of a training camp and then turn around and do it right again without giving your body like the proper rest or whatever? Uh, well, this is the first time I've ever done it like this, so I don't know. I, I'll tell you in like a month, but <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's that tough. I mean, I really enjoy training. Like I'm in the, Like regardless, like some guys get out of the gym for months. I'm always in the gym, you know, four or five days a week, minimum, regardless, like whether I fight or not. I'm always, you know, I'm always working on getting better. I'm always, you know what I mean? Like, not every workout has to make you, you know, puke and hate life and, you know, just be miserable, you know? Uh, so, but I'm always in the gym. 
Uh, my last camp, like I was, I was in really good cardio shape, but we kind of, we almost did like less work than more. Like I, I feel like sometimes in the past, like I've, I've trained too hard that like I wasn't like tra- I wasn't peaking, you know, 100. percent Whereas I was in good shape, but I was ready to like grind. Whereas this fight, I felt like I was in like really good shape. I felt that I was really sharp. Uh, so I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I really enjoyed having a little bit uh, less sparring from my last fight. Uh, but, you know, we're going to do the same thing this, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out. If it works out great, you know, I'll never go back. If it works out bad, you know, maybe we'll think about it a little more. And, Joe, you mentioned never really being out of the gym. And for those that don't know, you own and run your own gym, Lausanne uh, MMA in Massachusetts, in, uh, outside of Boston. In fact, you're actually, you guys are opening up a, a second gym. I know that you mentioned that in July. Uh, now, you're, you're very hands-on. I've actually gotten a chance to train there uh, with you guys quite a bit in fact uh, I was there in the last week of one of your training camps last year and you were still teaching classes which is really cool because there might be other gyms out there that might have like a fighter name license to them but if you go to Lozon MMA uh, you you were going to get taught more than likely by by Joe Lozon in addition to a a, a really good uh, staff so you're involved in this community that you've helped create you know it's a very familiar familiar atmosphere what is the vibe there right now? You're coming off this huge, amazing win, and now you're heading into another fight. It's a, it's a busy summer at, at Lozan MMA. Yeah, I mean, it's super high. Everyone's excited. Everyone's pumped about it. You know, it's like, it's cool, too, because, like, you know, I always say, like, whenever I do interviews, I always say, you know, like, I'm, I always, you know, I, I never say, oh, I did this or I did that. I always say, we did this or, you know what I mean? And, I, and that's because that's the way I think about it. It's 100% like a team effort. Uh, you know, it's, it's me, it's my coaches, my trainer partners. I have guys that, you know, will never fight in the UFC, but they, they, they train with me, you know, they're, they're sparring partners, they do this, they do that, you know what I mean? Like, they're great, and, and when I win, I know that, they, you know, they take pride in the fact that, you know, they helped out, they were a part of that, you know? Um, you know, so it, it, it's always a good vibe, you know, it's like, off a loss, it, it, it's like, it's still a good vibe, you know, because everyone's so proud of me, like, you know, they see me training hard, like, they still see you there, you know, but obviously, you know, going out there and, you know, and having such a dominant performance, you know, everyone's super excited, but it's good. So you've never done this type of quick turnaround like you were just telling Mike between fights. This is going to be the, the fastest one you've ever had. But what are you expecting, Joe, from a second weight cut in as many months? You haven't done it before, uh, but, uh, you know, is it going to be really tough? Like, I don't know how much you've gotten to, to pig out between, <laughs> after the last fight, if you're up to light heavyweight already or not. I know you can, you can eat well. Or, or do you not think it's going to be that big of a deal? I didn't, even, I didn't even get a chance to get any, get any weight. So I, I've never, I think the heaviest I've been in my entire life is like 176, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was lifting like crazy. I wasn't like, I wasn't doing anything but really lifting and grappling a little bit and like hit mids, like no sparring, nothing like super intense, just lifting all the time, you know, just because, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was trying to gain a little bit of muscle. And, you know, but, for, you know, and I, I pretty much eat what I want all the time. Like, so I don't like... After I fight, I'm not like, oh, I'm not fiending for food like some people are. Like, I'm, I'm looking for stuff a little bit, but not that bad. Like, I don't go out. Like, I know some guys that, you know, after they fight, they gain, you know, 15 pounds in a week, you know. And th- But that's not me. I, I was still like 168, 169, uh, which, I mean, that's actually lighter than I landed in Vegas for my last fight. So, um, so everything everything's good weight-wise. You know, I'm, you know it's going to suck a little bit getting in the sauna. But honestly, I feel like I had my easiest cut ever. I think I hopped in the sauna for two 15-minute sessions or two 10-minute sessions last time. Uh, so it was like it was a really easy cut last time, you know. So it's it's gonna suck a little bit. Like when I get in the sauna for the first time, I'm like, Ugh, here we go again. <laughs> but overall, I, I don't anticipate it being too bad. Now, how have you changed? You feel, Joe, since the last fight, uh, the last time you fought Jim Miller? You, you talked a little bit about how your preparation is gonna be different, how that could. 
that could benefit you. But just you as a fighter, what's different this time around? Uh, you know, I, I definitely think I'm better than I was then. You know, I think I definitely have more time to prepare for the fight just because now I'm, I'm more used to all the lefty stuff. I've been fighting lefties for the last year, so that, that's kind of nice. <laughs> uh, uh, but, I mean, obviously everything just kind of thinks that I'm, I'm that guy that is, you know, like I said, I'm always in the gym. I'm always getting better. I'm always focused on, you know, improving. So, I mean, now I've had, you know, like four years of just getting better at all these different things and areas. And, you know, and I'm sure Jim, you know, has gotten better too, but I feel like I, I, I think that I've gotten better than he has in the, in the meantime. You know, I think that, you know, the version of me today beats the version of Miller today, for sure. Um, I think it was really, really close back then. It was, a, you know, razor, razor close, but I think I'm just, you know, I think I'm just a different person. I just, I can, I can see how much better I am at all these different things. And I, I know he is too, but I think I'm going to have the advantage. I think I'm going to turn the tide. Now, correct, correct us if we're wrong, uh, Joe, but I believe – You've got another Jimmy Fun walk coming up soon. Yep, yep. So we're doing that. It's, uh, it's September twenty fifth. Cool. And so talk a little bit about how you and your family got involved with them, the Jimmy Fund, uh, this 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 charitable walk, and and why you choose to continue to support uh, the, this foundation year after year. So we're raising money for the Jimmy Fund, the Dana Farber Cancer Institute, and basically, um, so my son is now is two and a half years old. But he was, when he was born, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer when he was like five or six days old. So he had a neuroblastoma, which is like the most common pediatric cancer. You know, it's like, a, it's like basically 500 cases a year uh, of, you know, newborns. And um, so Jody was born, had cancer, started chemo at like six or seven days old. Uh, you know, really, really scary time. Didn't think I'd ever fight again. You know, thought I was going to be 100%, you know, just focused on Joey and everything like that. Uh, but kid's a champ. He did three rounds of chemo. Uh, didn't complain. He just, you know, obviously not very happy about it, but, but he just did it. And, uh, you know, completely, you know, cancer-free now. He's been cancer-free for a little over two years now. Um, so he, he's doing awesome, you know. So uh, the the Jimmy Fund was just amazing for us. You know, like they just did such a good job. Like Joey, you know, Joey, you know, is as much fun as you can have going and getting, you know, stuck with needles and giving blood and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, he was always in a good mood there. Uh, you know, everyone was super nice. So we try to raise money to help them out. They, they, they raise a ton of money. In the last two years, we've raised around $100,000. So, uh, you know, the UFC's donated money as a company. Dana White donated money personally. Lorenzo Fertitta donated money personally. Um, this year, Reebok is uh, basically, uh, we have a team of, right now we have around 40 walkers. But uh, Reebok has donated shirts, shorts, uh, and shoes for all everyone on our team. So, you know, have all you know, custom, you know, Team Joey uh, t-shirts and, and clothes. So, it's, it's really, really cool. Uh, if you want to donate, you can go to Team Joey joelozon.com and uh, there's a link right there you can donate to the team or donate to me or however you want to do it but all the money goes directly to the Jimmy Fund it's all for you know uh, you know cancer research and you know, help out little kids if you don't like if you don't like kids getting cancer you should go and donate that's awesome we're so happy that Joey is doing well and it's, it's great to see you guys continue to raise money for other children like him and obviously we can't wait for this fight August 27th UFC and Fox a rematch against Jim Miller I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to keep my blood inside my body this time. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll even it up. Maybe he can spill some of his blood, but I'm gonna try to keep my blood inside. <laughs> yeah, definitely try to make him bleed his own blood, Joe. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Joe. No problem. Anytime. Always glad to be on. Wow. Uh, we have a brief history, but best interview ever. <laughs> like, what did he talk about? Pokemon Go. Crazy, crazy behind-the-scenes stories with people yeah. like Chael Sonnen. 
Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z. Cancer I don't research. Even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was really cool that he mentioned that the UFC donated. Yeah, and not only that the UFC donated that. Fertitta and Dana, Dana White as individuals yeah. donated as individuals, awesome. and that Reebok got behind it and donated equipment. That's you know the, the the Reebok headquarters, like global headquarters, is like 15 minutes from from Joe's gym. Uh, like oh, their whole no huge campus. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, I actually did a, a, a tour before I forget which fight. Maybe it's fight against Gomi the week prior. Uh, we went. And I went with a couple of, couple of his coaches. I was there uh, uh, following him for uh, for some features. And he visited, and, and he's like, that's when he got to try on like his, his, his fight kit, his gear that he was going to have. But, yeah, it's, it's really, really close. So it's really cool to see Reebok get involved with the cause and get involved uh, with, with, with a, a local fighter who is you know, probably one of the best fighters uh, to come out of Massachusetts uh, ever and, and doing it for a good cause. So, yeah, it's pretty dope because they always do those really cool T-shirts. Joe always makes good T-shirts for himself, his team. But to see Reebok get involved and, and yeah. do that, that's, that's pretty dope. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredibly special. Um, and – there's so much the the training the short camp the pokemon go stuff i i haven't even downloaded that on my phone yet so <laughs> i feel like i'm too busy for this and here's a guy who just bought that's right and he's got kids and <laughs> oh no wife and he runs a gym <laughs> and he's still playing pokemon go and he's got another fight like already lined up on the books i have no excuses anymore <laughs> no excuses for not playing pokemon go except for being an adult yeah, <laughs> I'm still. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm still gonna rag on you for that, man. That's hilarious. So, what do you think of the Jim Miller fight? I think it's a phenomenal fight. You know, it was. It's cool because you know they they run back and do rematches of title fights a lot of times, but they, we don't often see just plain amazing fights uh, that were you know between great fighters that, that were on an undercard get get done again. And it, it just worked out really well this time. Joe Lozon fought and won quickly at UFC 200. Jim Miller fought and won quickly at UFC 200. So they're both healthy. This opportunity came about, and they were both game. Psh, if you haven't seen their first fight, find it. Go on UFC Fight, fight Pass. Pass or whatever. Get it done. Uh, it's an amazing fight. And once you see that fight, and, and then you think about, okay, these guys are both healthy. They're both motivated, and they've four years improved, hopefully. You're just going to get absolutely stoked for this card. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end the summer on a, on a real high note. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. And uh, it's interesting that he said that Joe Silva called and needed a favor because yeah. there was a lot of question about like what was going to be the main event for a while. It seemed right. like there wasn't one, and then they moved the Condit fight to the, that card. And then you know you call in the favor with Joe and Jim Miller to get this fight booked. So it's that's, a pretty great card yeah. now. All of a sudden, you yeah, know? quietly out <laughs> of nowhere, it's like yeah. it went from like what's who, what's, who's headlining this? <laughs> like Ken is getting we're shaft. selling we're selling tickets, but we don't know what we're buying to see. <laughs> And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I lucked into this. It's like one of those situations where if you bought a ticket before they like announced, or I don't even know exactly the timeline, but. Yeah, no, but sometimes fans get burned and sometimes they get rewarded for just having faith in the, in the UFC product. This is a time where they're getting rewarded. You know, I don't know what they were going to do before. If Dana White was just going to do like a, a monologue in the center of the <laughs> octagon for like a Joe two Rogan. Hours. They could try Joe <laughs> Rogan. No, no that, that'd be worth it. Joe's yeah. a great, a great stand-up. I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen his stand-up? Oh yeah. I've seen it in person actually. Yeah. Uh, he's he's once. solid. I went once Did you? to cool, see it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. 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 No, I like him. He's, he's great. Yeah. He puts on, he puts on an interesting show. I, I've always like, I've seen him do stand-up uh, video, like yeah, through yeah. video clips uh, here and there, but I finally got to see him in person last year and uh, it was, it was, he's just as good in person. Like it, he cool. lived up. Uh, so we also have joining us Lou Giordano. He nutrition as uh, we know him. Um, he manages many fighters ways. Johnny Hendricks, 
uh, amongst them who fought at UFC 200, and he, we want to talk to him about that. But uh, I, this is the first time that I've gotten to talk to him, so I wanted to get to know you, Lou, uh, a little bit better. So who, what got you into healthy eating and uh, healthy living and weight management? What, what drew you to this field? Well, it's kind of a, a double question in a sense. What got me into the health and fitness industry over 16 years ago was I come from a very heavy family, and uh, I was tall and thin, so it didn't make sense to me as a child. And as I got older, you know, I, I decided to try to uh, get educated and learn so that maybe I can help them. And what I found was is that there's a lot of people in this world who, who actually suffer the same way that they do. So I really just started this quest about 16 years ago to try to um, you know, help as many people as I can. As far as the, the weight management with fighters, uh, it was about a, a little over a year ago when I had met my first fighter, uh, Eddie Truck Gordon, season 19 winner of The Ultimate Fighter. And uh, my brother was sponsoring him at the time, and he was telling me about how horrible his weight cuts were. And, and I know as a, as a wrestler, you know, th there's a better way to do it. And I was just talking to him, and, and he asked me if I would help him for his next fight. And, and then it just kind of you know, steamrolled from there at that point. So you talked about uh, first being drawn to it when you were a kid. Kids normally are growing up eating whatever they want. They're not really thinking about what they're eating. So what was it like being the one kid who cared about healthy eating and exercising in your body when everybody else is stuffed in their face with, uh, you know, Hostess cupcakes like I was? Um, what was that like when kids are eating whatever they want? It, it, it was tough, actually, because, you know, like I said earlier, when I was younger, I was tall and thin. And then when my family moved, I went from being very active to, to not being active at all. And I started to kind of gain a little bit of weight. I'll use the word chubby for myself. I got real chubby, and it freaked me out. And at that time, I believe SlimFast just first came out. It was like the newest thing. And, of course, you know, my family had tons and tons of cases of it. And in seventh grade, I started sneaking swim fast for lunch. I would have a shake for breakfast and swim fast for lunch. And, and all the kids at my table would look at me weird. You know, they're all eating whatever they want. And, and here I am just drinking a, you know, six or eight ounce shake. So it was definitely challenging. But um, I, I knew the, the bigger picture was to just ultimately try to be as healthy as I can be and, and kind of not listen to, to what other people were saying. So when you're... When you begin working with fighters, you talked about it, you talked Gordon, and you're jumping into it. Was it something that you were able to jump right into? Did it take some time to learn what works for MMA fighters? Um, did it take some experimenting? What was that like? Um, you know what? It's a little bit of both. I've been a certified weight management specialist for a number of years now. And like I said, I've been in the health and fitness industry for, for 16 years. So I've been managing people's weight for you know close to 16 years. And I've worked with professional bodybuilders where, where they have to, you know, diet down and be a specific weight to, to get on stage and, and compete, you know, in that sense. And uh, I've helped, you know, wrestlers, nothing, nothing on obviously as big of a scale as the UFC, um, but, but I understand the body. I understand how it works, and I understand how to manipulate it in a good way. And when I first sat down with Eddie a little over a year ago, you know, I just tweaked what he was eating, and his weight just came off. There really was no hardcore protocol and it kind of you know set a light bulb off because I, I kind of thought that that the guys at least in the UFC you know the sport has evolved so much that that weight cutting would evolve too and it's the one thing still to this day that is yet to evolve you know they're still cutting weight the way that we did it you know back in the 90s for, for wrestling which was kind of scary to me as someone who has firsthand experience working with fighters trying to cut weight you have a unique perspective 
what is your opinion on the weight class structure in MMA as it stands right now? I think that I'd like to see more weight classes for two reasons. I'd like to make it a little bit easier on the guys and girls to make weight. And also there are so many talented fighters out there that having more weight classes would just mean more opportunities for guys and girls to get more fights, which as a fan uh, as I am, it would be exciting to see that as well. So I think it's a win-win to just add more weight classes. So I think from flyweight to light heavyweight that a weight class every 10 pounds uh, makes a lot of sense. I don't like the 15-pound jumps. Do you think a weight class every 10 pounds is the right way to go? I like that. I think that would be great. Absolutely. So, Lou, when you, when you talk about MMA fighters still cutting weight like you guys did as, as young wrestlers in the 90s, when you talk about it not evolving uh, with the rest of the sport, are you referring specifically to athletes resorting to, like walking around very heavy and resorting to extreme dehydration shortly before their fight to cut pounds instead of just simply staying closer to their fight weights all year round? Absolutely. That, that, that's, you hit the nail right on the head. You know, when I say that, that the weight cutting has not evolved, people are still doing the same things that we did. Wearing rubber suits without drinking anything, barely eating anything, going days without eating, you know, sucking on Jolly Ranchers and spitting in a cup, um, you know, not drinking water for two days, just, just the most dramatic things that, that you could possibly do and torture your body just to make weight. And, and they still do that on a professional level. And there are professionals who are in the industry trying to help people make weight that are doing that to their fighters as well. So it's, it's just really, really confusing to me. Now, you've worked with a lot of UFC fighters in, in a short period of time. Talked about uh, Truck Gordon, who not just fought better, lost weight, was able to go to a whole other uh, weight class, but is really touted just the, the, the lifestyle change and feeling healthier. Uh, you worked with John Jones, obviously you worked with Johnny Hendricks, just uh, working with Andre Olofsky. Has it been a challenge, now that you've gotten to work with a lot of high-level fighters, has it been a challenge to change fighters' mindsets to from the idea of, I've got to get as big as I can to, hey, let me stay lighter, leaner, healthier year-round. Like, have you encountered a lot of nervousness on their part to the idea of walking around smaller year-round, whether it's because um, of some psychological block, they're worried about being a smaller person, or because of, uh, you know, maybe bad habits with eating? Uh, again, man, and that's why I love, you know, speaking with you because you, you, you hit the nail on the head every time, and that's what it is. It's always a struggle when I sit down with a new person and, and it's been that way my whole career, you know, whether they're an athlete or not. It's trying to get people to understand and, and break all these myths out there and, and get them to understand that, well, with the fighters, you don't have an advantage walking around bigger. You, you, you don't have an advantage. Um, you're not going to lose strength if you manage your weight properly. And all these things in every fighter, because they've been doing it for so long, their way, you got to remember even if it is the worst weight cut of their life, but they made weight in their minds, they still did it. it. It worked, you know? And so I have to kind of break all those molds. And, and some guys listen a lot better than others, you know? And it's, it, is a, it is a process, but it's one that, that I won't stop trying to preach and educate. Um, but it definitely is a struggle. There's no doubt about it. Now, Johnny Hendricks recently fought at UFC 200. Um, before the fight, he missed weight. Now, you've worked with Johnny Lou for, for a couple fights, but he's had issues making weight for, for years now. Um, from your perspective, because this is not something that's really talk, been talked about since then openly, what happened with Johnny missing weight at UFC 200? 
Well, you know, there are a few things that kind of that kind of happen, you know. And I've been a guy in, in my career that have always spoke the truth and, and, and stood behind that, you know. First and foremost, I do take responsibility for, for us missing weight. We should have never been that close. We should have never, you know, missed it by .25, even how ridiculous that is. But Johnny and I, the first time we worked together back in February, we made weight so easy it wasn't even funny. You know, and and he felt great. The weight came off. I think we, we ended up hitting like 168, 169 the day before. I mean, he just felt great. So, but what we did during that time is, is he was doing strength and conditioning for, for a while with his new coach. And I couldn't get his weight to kind of fluctuate the way I wanted it to. So we decided to pull strength and conditioning almost five weeks away from the fight. He still did his conditioning, of course, in cardio, but strength, lifting weight. Johnny's body responds really, really well to certain things. This time we felt very confident. We talked about it. We checked in with the UFC. I believe it was 166, uh, 176.8 on that Tuesday. This time Johnny and I agreed that, you know, we can come in a little bit heavier because of how easy the weight came off. And also we thought that we can kind of continue to do strength training all the way up. So we did come in a little bit heavier than, than what, we, uh, what we did last time. But everything was fine up until the day before weigh-ins. You know, we were only three pounds over the day before weigh-ins. We woke up in the morning, we ate, we drank, we did what we normally do, push. Johnny felt great, energy was great. We took a little bit of a break, we ate, we drank, and then we went to push midday, and, and Johnny wanted to push, the coaches wanted to push, and, and I think it was definitely a little bit too much, and it started to tax on him, something that I have not seen from him, you know. Remember, the first time we worked together, there was never an issue. This time, you know, we hit a roadblock and we tried to push through it, which I think was a mistake. And um, I made the decision to hydrate them. I'm not a guy that's going to dehydrate my fighters. I'm not a guy that's going to risk, you know, them having to go to the hospital or needing a wheelchair to be brought in to make weight. I made the decision to hydrate him, give him fluid to make sure that I knew he was okay, safe, and everything was fine. And, and maybe that cost us a .25, maybe it didn't. I stand behind my decision because, like I said, I'm not going to risk their health. So when we had woke up the next morning to finish what we were doing, and then again we obviously missed by .25, I kind of had a feeling we were going to miss, um, but, but I was okay with it because of the decision that I chose to make. Now, Johnny's wife touched on that issue in a tweet uh, after the cut, and I want to get back to that in a moment. But, but staying on this for a second, Lou, when you say Johnny hit a wall, are you saying he like, stopped sweating or just he, he started um, – to struggle mentally or physically what's going on um no he, he didn't stop sweating you know it, it, he certainly wasn't sweating as much he didn't stop sweating he, he just started to, to get really fatigued really tired and and you gotta remember before johnny and i worked together his body completely shut down you know his kidneys started to shut down and he had to go to the hospital so there's a lot of mental things that are playing there as well you know and i felt like we pushed as much as i wanted to push and, and the weight, you know, kind of kind of stayed still for a second. And I wasn't willing to do anything dramatic or drastic to get that last pound off. So my goal or my choice was to hydrate him, make sure he feels good, and he was hydrated and felt fine. And then we'll try to push again, you know, the next day, and, and let's see where the cards fall, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and again, about a, I don't remember exactly when it was, but a day or two afterwards, Johnny Hendricks' wife, put out a tweet, and I'm paraphrasing, but she, she said she was grateful that Lou Giordano cared about more than just Johnny Hendricks making weight, about wheeling him into the, into the ring, but that she cared about his health. 
Now I can't imagine at the time when he's he's you, you decided to hydrate him uh, when he's having it became apparent that he may have trouble making weight again. I can't imagine the discord, the arguments that may have been going on or whatever inside the camp or the stress. Seeing that tweet afterwards from your client, your friend, your athlete's wife, did that make you feel good? It meant the world. It actually, uh, it actually took care of everything that I was going through. You know, obviously, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I care about my guys genuinely. When I first met him back in November, <clears throat> I made a promise to his wife and to his three little girls that that I would always take care of their father, protect their father, and do all I can to make sure that he's healthy and safe. I don't care if I ruin my career as long as I protect and keep my word. That's what means most to me. Because when I first sat down with them, they told me horror stories about what other people in this industry did to him to get him to make weight. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and talk about the specifics as to what was done because those people know what they did. I know what they did. And I vowed to never do that to him, you know. And when I saw her put that up there, I mean, it just meant the world to me. You know, and I got a lot of positive feedback from people because on one hand, again, I didn't run from it. I didn't make excuses for some of these other guys. I didn't blame Johnny, calling him lazy, saying that he likes to eat too much. You know, um, I manned up to it. I take full responsibility. And uh, Johnny and I had a great conversation, had many great conversations. We're staying at 70, and we're going to continue to make 70. We know what we need to do to tweak it, to, to, to never let that happen again. But after she wrote that, I mean, that's the only thing that mattered to me. I could care less what anybody had to say, any of my critics or, or one or two really, you know, main critics that I have. Um, I just laugh at them. I think they're jokes. The scene you paint, the family caring about you taking care of it, it, it to me, in my mind, this might be weird, it makes me think of Jerry Maguire. You know, he's got this special relationship with Rod Tidwell and his family and his wife, and she calls him on the phone when he's injured, and then he's fine, and he scored this huge touchdown, and he got this contract, and they're hugging at the end in the media scrum, and I think it's Troy Aikman in the movie it's talking to his agent, and he's like, why don't we have a relationship like that? Um, so that's kind of what I picture in my mind. Do other fighters see the relationship that you have and that you cared for him and you made a decision for him, not for the result, and do they come to you and want to work with you because of it? I've definitely, like I said, got a lot of positive feedback. Some of the people that I'm currently working with, you know, Jose Shorty Torres, who's got a fight coming up for the interim belt, he put out a statement the very next day, you know, thanking me for who I am and what I do and how he would never trust anybody else with his weight. I had text Andre Orlovsky, um, I think the night of the fight, you know, asking him, hey, you know, obviously he, everybody knew what happened. We missed weight. Johnny lost the fight and all those things. I had asked him, you know, are, you know, are you still going to work with me? And he got very mad at me. Are you kidding me? Why would you ask me that? You know, of course. You know, so I, I take pride in the relationships that I have with my athletes. And I can guarantee you that nobody else who does what I do can say the same thing. You know, and that's what's most important to me. And, and my athletes and my clients know that. So, again, it's, it's one of those things that I pride myself on. And, and, and it just makes me feel good to, to hear from them like that, you know. Now, Lou, Andre Olavsky has a fight coming up uh, real soon. Are you going to be with him in Germany where it's taking place for the fight, or are you just kind of re consulting uh, remotely? No, I'm, I'm leaving this Sunday. I actually got a flight at 5 a.m. going out to Albuquerque for a few weeks, um, and then uh, I'll come home for a little bit, and then I'll go out to Germany with him. 
That's to me. That's a really interesting and cool situation because Ar- Arlovsky is a heavyweight, and have, and a heavyweight who doesn't have to quote unquote cut weight to make the two hundred sixty five pound limit. Uh, what is Lou? What does he tell you the value of your coaching is for him? Because he's again, he's not quote unquote cutting weight. It, it's it's our relationship, you know. It, it's the genuineness, and it's it's he knows that that I genuinely care about him and will do everything I can to make sure that he is as healthy as I possibly can, can, can make him. And, and he was very happy with, I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this, this is coming from him, that he was very happy with what I was able to do for the last fight and is excited, you know, with continuing to work together and, and the relationship that him and I had, you know, I looked at him weeks after working together and I said, listen, as long as we're working together, I will not work with another heavyweight. I'm not that guy, man. I'm not trying to, build this business and just you know rotate fighters i want to build true genuine relationships and i think that that's why the guys stay with me that i have that continue to stay with me you know and, and that's one of the things with andre he felt great you know we're going to make some changes and some tweaks he's going to look even better physically uh coming into this next fight and, and i'm just really excited for it uh, that's that's pretty interesting uh a thing for fighters to hear i feel here's here's a fighter Arlovsky who doesn't have to cut weight but he's showing that hey you can care about what you eat just because of the way it may make you feel and help you uh, perform. It's not always just about getting down to an arbitrary weight. Uh, so Arlovsky is still investing in this because there's a, a value he realizes to just being healthy if you're a professional athlete. Uh, absolutely. Because, again, what I bring to the table, and you could listen to any of Johnny Hendricks's interviews of, of us working together you know what i do is, is i don't put these guys on diets when i had met andre he was already kind of following a protocol of, of something else and and had extensive you know blood work done and and based off of all that you know this was the best diet for him and and he wasn't happy he wasn't feeling good okay so so just because a textbook tells you that this is what you need to do doesn't mean that you're actually going to like it and enjoy it you know so what i try to do is, is teach these guys that you can eat certain foods. You can enjoy certain things because I want to protect your longevity. You know, you can't call it a lifestyle change if I'm making you eat things that you don't enjoy. You can't call it a lifestyle change if I'm making you work out or do things that you cannot continue to do for the rest of your life. That's, that's torture. That's not a lifestyle change. It's an unrealistic thing. So I'm trying to teach them, you know, how to be realistic in an unrealistic environment, if that makes sense. Lou, where can fans find more information about you where can they follow you and all that you can go to my instagram it's uh lutrition twitter is at lou underscore trition facebook's lutrition and i have a website lutrition.net i do do customized meal plans for you know the stay-at-home moms the hard-working people and also the professional athletes uh that's lutrition.net i also own a supplement company all my supplements are, are clean guaranteed potency um nasf certified which means that all my sports stuff is is all you know legit uh, and that's nutrition, N-U-E, nutrition.com. Well, thank you, Lou, uh, for talking to us. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and shedding some light on the whole yeah. UFC 200 situation. Uh, really, really fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you very much, brother. I really appreciate it. And, and, and same to you, man. Best of luck with everything that you're doing. You're, you're unbelievable. Nothing but respect. So that was a... Uh, enlightening interview sure it was i feel like we could talk to him for like hours more just about right health and weight management and we should definitely have him on again because there's a lot of stuff with weight cutting going on that's changing with the rules and all that 
but we're weird so like we could talk to him for an hour good <laughs> or longer people don't want to <laughs> well well, well uh, you know it's cool because there's there's always something that's gonna come up like this time it was johnny hendrix right well there's gonna be other people struggling with weight or situations so um yeah he's, he's a great guy to talk to i've gotten to talk to him a bit over the last year and in a short period of time he's had a lot of success with some high level fighters um and uh, yeah, and, and I like his approach to it. And, I, and there, he's not the only one, but there's very few, and they're emerging now, uh, of of these weight cut experts that are really emphasizing. Hey guys, I know that your whole life, especially if you're like a wrestler, you've been you've been thinking, I've got to walk around as big as I can so that I can be the bigger person or not be that much smaller exactly. person. And, and they're just they're changing it. I said, listen, you guys are performance athletes, right? Being big and bulky won't count for anything if your muscles will just, you know, um, you know, crap out on you in the fight and if you feel like garbage. Uh, and uh, I like I like that approach. They're encourage people like Lou Giordano are encouraging their athletes to get healthier and they're going to be lighter all year round. They're going to have to um, dehydrate themselves less, if at all. And I think they're going to perform better and they're going to tax their body a lot less. I mean, they're. People do real damage with this weight cutting, with which is just basically like controlled uh, death spiral <laughs> yeah. via dehydration, right? Like we're going to stop this at this point, but you're kind of killing yourself with it. It's, it's, it hurts your kidneys. And, and you know, there was, oh, I feel so bad. I can't remember the name, but just the other year, there was a UFC fighter, a young guy in his twenties, I believe who, who had a winning record who retired because he went during a, I think a physical, basically a doctor revealed to him after some tests, like, Hey, you've got like one working kidney left and you're, and it, he is a wrestler. He had been dehydrating himself to make weight since he was a child and so he had the kidneys of like an unhealthy 80 year old or something like that Man. it does real damage so I, I like this approach i like talking to people like lord giordano because they're not all about just getting that person like a piece of meat into the ring and wait um via any method they're, let's let's be healthy all year round you know i like that well the thinking outside the box is what's going to move the sport forward and this weight cutting has become a huge um issue and it's i feel like it's finally being addressed and in the right way yeah. not only from people like Lou Giordano who's coming on and changing the way that people are cutting weight or managing weight as he likes to phrase right. it um, but also the UFC and uh, you know the athletic commissions are doing stuff about it the earlier weigh-ins seem to be really popular and seem to be something that uh, the fighters are really uh, fond of yeah. so there's approaches coming from both sides to try and rectify this problem and the you know, what he's doing with the weight cutting uh, as opposed to weight cutting, managing weight mm -hmm. just makes so much sense. And to think about it, he hasn't even been doing it that long, right. at least with fighters. Right. He's obviously been managing weight, like he said, told us uh, professional bodybuilders or whatever. That's just something that I wasn't aware of. But with fighters, I think, I mean, has it been a little over a year? Yeah, I mean, probably. Like 192? Or no. maybe not even like isn't what like 192 was when he first reached out to Hendricks or something. Yeah, Hendricks. Yeah, Hendricks reached out to him, I believe. But before that, he'd worked with uh, Eddie Gordon. But uh, yeah, right. but it's been only about a year. Um, so yeah, it hasn't been that long. But he's making a big impact. Yeah. You yeah. know, and leading. Even though Johnny Hendricks missed weight by like a quarter of a pound. Right. Um, and that was very enlightening to hear him say that. I, you know, we follow the MMA news cycle pretty closely, and I feel like I haven't heard. I have. Um, the behind the scenes from the from either Hendrix or uh, Lou about what happened that week. Right. So that was really enlightening to hear him shed some light on what happened because everybody's like a quarter of the pound. That's a scale not being calibrated yeah, right, correctly. Right. Um, was it a mistake? Did you weigh in on the other scale yeah. and it said you were the one that they checked themselves on mm -hmm. or whatever? Did that one, was that where you on point? That one, 
and you thought you were good and you came in. It's, I mean, it's a quarter of a pound. Yeah. And you almost never hear when they do weight weigh-ins at the UFC that they do a quarter of a pound. Usually they do half pound intervals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. But the it's just, you know, it's incredibly fascinating to me. It, it really is. And I love this approach. There's others. TJ Dillashaw's uh, um, weight management coaches that he works with at Perfecting Athletes, they have a, they have a right. very similar approach. Um, they've also worked with Chris Weidman. So I like that some high-level guys and girls are getting getting some good advice in that regard. I'm sure there's other very knowledgeable people out there as well. But, yeah, we got to do something to just have people – stop people from dropping, you know, 15% of their weight in water mm-hmm. the day before they have to go out there and perform. That's nasty. Well, what I was going – where my mind was going mm-hmm. before my thought process dropped <laughs> off just then is that you saw pictures of Johnny Hendricks yeah. before UFC 200. He looked great. He looked great yeah i mean to be they entered the week what you said 176 and they had that's the nothing prob- that's 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 nothing he would show up like they would the reports would be like he'd be like close to 20 pounds over on tuesday when you get there that's nothing so they were managing him well yeah they were i mean they were well. put themselves in good position right right it certainly seems um, that way but it's re- and refreshing to hear that somebody would say you know I don't want to hydrate you for your health. That I don't want to like shocking push to you over the edge to make the weight. Shouldn't um, be shocking, but it was it was shocking to me. Yeah. Guys and including Johnny Hendricks in the past have been virtually wheeled out there to weigh in. That's that's very atypical. It's a ruthless winning is it more most important type of world in sports generally. So to hear that pretty interesting. The other thing that he said that really stuck out to me was when you when you were talking about Arlovsky. Mm-hmm. And for th- when you asked him about um a heavyweight high, bringing them on to cut weight. Like, you know, they don't need weight management specialists, but it was interesting to hear him shed light on why Arlovsky wants to work with him. And it makes complete sense. Yeah. You know, you're an athlete. You have to put in the right fuel to train, to keep yourself energy. You know, it's like back because the Olympics is coming up and thinking of this example, like Michael Phelps eats X amount of calories a day because he burned so many swimming. Right. Like he just needs to consume so much to keep his body fueled. And uh, so that made sense. But the other thing was that he wouldn't work with another heavyweight. That stood out as well. These are some really re- – those, those things are remarkable, right? Hydrating someone when they're that close to weight instead of saying, no, we got to make you uh, have you make weight no matter what, and then committing to one person per weight division, that's amazing because that, Lou Giordano's at the point where people are calling him to be clients. I wouldn't be surprised at all if other heavyweights want to work with him, if other welterweights want to work with him. And for him to make that kind of commitment, that, that is exceptional. That's not seen everywhere, even in that industry, in that position. I joked about the Jerry Maguire thing before. <laughs> and then it's like, no, this is real. And then he's like, I'm in this genuinely for relationships, and I won't work with somebody who fights in the same weight class as somebody that I'm working with. And it's like, oh, well, that's, that's really taking it yeah, to another level. It really is. So fascinating stuff. Um, incredible journey. And the big topic anytime some stuff with Hendricks comes up is, is he going to stay at 170? Right. And he said yes. Yeah, he said a, like we're working together still. I didn't know if they were or not after this. Yeah, yeah fair, right? I mean that's a fair assumption or question. Question. To yeah, absolutely. You know, guys switch coaches all the time, and then and then B, no, we're staying at 170. So yeah, that's those those are some big news items in the in the Johnny Hendricks, uh, welterweight uh, title picture, or title contender picture. And I think that also bears credence to the fact that he's not sitting here saying it was my decision and I'm owning it and taking responsibility and I was trying to make the right decision for habit or for the athlete mm-hmm. that there's actual weight to what he's saying because Hendricks is sticking by him. Exactly. That, yeah. that does, you know, it, it at least speaks to the relationship they have. And, uh, 
you know, I wasn't there. I don't know the ins and outs. It was good to get his perspective. But certainly, if that's if that's the way it went down, it's it's good to see an athlete. Athletes can be fickle sometimes with coaches, especially. It's good to see an athlete stick with someone um, for for the right reasons or develop some trust beyond like superficial uh, results, so to speak. So yeah, I hope I hope it goes well for them. I hope it goes well for Johnny Hendricks. He's he's a great fighter, um, and, and when he's at his best, can still be at the at the top of the division. So yeah, I hope he. I've I've seen him fight when he was had some trouble with with uh, with weight cuts. He looked like death. Um, I, I'm glad if nothing else, it seems like he's he's living a more healthy life. Well, I, I've seen uh, firsthand, maybe not the best word to use here, but I've seen uh, Hendricks trying to cut weight in the last um, in a hail mary attempt to make mm-hmm. it. It was uh, 171 in Dallas. He was fighting Robbie Lawler the first time, and uh, it was for the vacant welterweight title. And he missed weight when he stepped on the scale. Now, this, of course, was when the weigh-ins were in the afternoon, and it was all it was live. And if you missed weight, you had two hours to make weight. People are filing out of the venue where they had the weigh-ins, and he's in that sauna suit that Joe hmm. Deirdre, or Lou talked about, yeah. trying to get off that last pound or whatever it was wow. to make weight for this title fight. So, you know, I've seen that happen, but him coming in with 100 at 176 pounds seems like easy money, which means he's what he's doing is working yeah. and it's and it's working for him and speaking of like he brought up the the rubber suits you know to cut weight we saw a fighter recently give another fighter that at weigh-ins i don't remember which fighter it was yeah. or what event it was but that like that stuck out recently yeah no there's um, still it's still very common hitting hitting the hitting the sauna or the steam room after you haven't had water or food in a while and having sweats and then tucking your socks in and then having a, a sweat like plastics that they call them you know on yeah, that's uh, that's scary stuff. Man. Now you've done it, and you've done a post on it. I've always yeah. wanted to put myself through it just to have a better understanding of it. I played team sports yeah. growing up, so but like, I always wanted to put myself through it. So did I. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I always didn't want to do did. it, and then I finally tried. Yeah, like a little baby cut. So I, I've, I've never. I'm a fat boy at heart and in my <laughs> head, and so even though I fight, are we all are. <laughs> yeah. It's right. Even though I, even though I fight in an amateur level in MMA, I've never actually cut weight now i've like gotten on nutrition plans and dropped weight from where i started at the beginning of a camp but i never cut weight because i didn't want to do that so i fought people that were sometimes bigger than me and all that but i just didn't think it was worth it at, at amateur low amateur level i didn't think it would make that much of a difference and i don't think it has long story short i've never cut weight not even for jiu-jitsu tournaments or anything like that um and uh last year i wanted to do i wanted to, to get some insight into that process and uh i joe lozon let me into his camp. I, I kind of talked with some different fighters. I remember chatting with Mike Brown, former featherweight world champ, and what well, he was cornering and, and doing Charles Rosa's weight cut. And I remember talking to Joe. And um, yeah, I did a little. I, I got Joe's plan about a month and a half before, like how he started water loading, drinking, uh, you know, how much water he was drinking when he started eliminating salt and all that. I, I, I tried <laughs> to do that. I failed. And it's funny because we think about restriction with weight cutting. The first thing that I failed at with this weight cut experience was drinking enough water before like a month before loading enough they want to like create this like flushing effect in their body so that if they're really really loaded up with water when they eliminate sodium from their diet a a week or so before and they start cutting back on water the week of their body just through urination starts flushing it out and they lose a lot of water weight I failed in getting enough water in and then we were out there like I couldn't um I couldn't stick to the week of diet that he was doing, the restriction in food, and, and Joe was not a big cutter. 
right? Like he talked about how much he usually right. drops. He's not a big cutter, and that was still very hard. So he dropped. I forget, you'd have to see the article that I did, uh, but I don't remember exactly. But I, he dropped. Maybe he dropped around like f- under 15 pounds. But he's a lot smaller than me. I dropped 10 pounds in 24 hours, um, and I did that without even like r- restricting completely water or food, uh, and I felt not awesome. Like I went to bed after the first uh, day of cutting because you, you split into two, and the idea of most of these guys and girls is they don't drink water that night, and it's amazing. Like it's hard to sleep if you're even just a little thirsty. You know, I'm I'm, I'm this first world spoiled type of right. person. I don't I don't realize that. So yeah, it was a crazy experience. Even little baby cut, just 10 pounds of water weight in 24 hours. Uh, like, you know, I feel lightheaded. I don't feel good. I feel grumpy. These guys and girls have been doing it for a lot longer. It was, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It got, uh, it got a, at least through a tiny bit of experiencing and like the little small percentage of, of, what I, of what he does that I did. And then just observing was, was, was pretty, pretty remarkable. And for those interested in Elias's amateur career, you need to check out this interview he did with Submission Radio. Uh, about <laughs> about CM Punk. Google it. Google it. There's stories out there. Well, always listen to Submission Radio. Those boys are great. The Aussies are awesome. But yeah, the, uh, they've had uh, both of us on. And, and one time, they tried to uh, they tried to get me the fight with CM Punk before CM Punk had. Uh, and had there a fight. were blog posts up about it. it was yeah, people covered it. I, I like I like Phil Brooks. I met him once at Rufus Sport uh, last year. It was like his first week, I think, of training there. He was a real cool dude. So I have nothing against him. Uh, but you know, you. You fight people if they tell, if they give you a fight, you know. So it was. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna throw money at me. <laughs> yeah, like if, as long as unqualified people are are getting signed to the UFC, right. why I'll, not I'll, me? I'll take that check. No, but I wish him the best. He's taking on a really tough fight. We're gonna be talking a lot more about that. I know in coming weeks, and he's got some guts, and he's a hardworking dude from everything I hear, and he's a Chicagoan that lives so like really out. close to us. Yeah, yeah. So Phil Brooks, I know I just uh, I just called you unqualified to fight in UFC. So. But uh, I think you're, uh, he's a tough dude. He's a good guy, and I, I wish him the best. But yeah, no, uh, yeah, they, they try to give me that fight. They try to get they try to get their ten percentage uh, management points to give me that fight. We'll have to do uh, <laughs> when we are the next time we're at an event and the submission radio guys are there. We'll have to we'll have to. Oh yeah, those those one. guys are we'll awesome. We'll have to do like a, a point five episode or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. maybe like a merging combo. We should do like yeah. a, a, a merged uh, a merged like logo or something. But yeah, no, Phil Brooks got a much harder fight than, than fighting me. By the way, yeah, Mickey Gall. <laughs> Mickey Gall's a real dude. We'll be there for that fight. Yeah, three. that's gonna be good in Cleveland. Uh, Mickey Gall's a guy that I think would be in the UFC like in four or five fights anyway. He's a big welterweight, strong kid. It's gonna be crazy. So that pretty much wraps up our show. Incredible guests. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind you one more time to look for an extra episode coming on Friday. Lex McMahon of Titan Fighting, uh, UFC heavyweight Stefan Struve. We're going to be talking about their charity and what they're doing, their work with veterans. Uh, really looking forward to talking to that. It's uh, you know an incredibly important topic to the both of us, and we uh, you know I have veterans in my family, so it it means a lot. Um, but thank you everybody for tuning in and listening. Uh, great stuff, Giordano. Joe, uh, it was incredible. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, whichever kind of phone you have. Um, I'm assuming everybody has an iPhone because that's what I have, and it seems like, like I don't know I, anybody I has an Android. recently, and I'm still figuring out how to use it. But I yeah. love it. I love <laughs> it. Uh, but anyways, make sure to subscribe. Also, the TuneIn app, you can listen to it on there. Thank you, everyone, so much. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you Friday and then again next Monday.